Okay, everyone, today I'm joined by Nick Durham, who's the general partner of Shadow Ventures. Our focus on today's show will be all about building a thematic focused VC firm versus a generalistic firm. And then we'll also talk about capital raising, portfolio construction, and supporting founders they invest in. So without further ado, Nick, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Jason, thanks for having me. Excited to speak to a, a fellow Chicago, Chicagoan. You know, don't live there anymore, but still, still there in spirit. So thanks for inviting me on. The pleasure is mine. Let's get down to the first question. So like, could you explain more about what thematic focus really means in the context of venture capital and why Shadow VC has chosen to focus on the built environment theme? <laughs> yeah, sure. So thematic and focus, you know, it's, it's. It's a good question because I think there's varying definitions of what a thematic focus VC is. So, I mean, I'll, let's let's start at the top. So, the the most common venture capital structure is what's called a generalist venture capital firm, which, like the name sounds, they can invest in generally in any topic or or um, industry that they so choose. Right. So, that would be something that you know a Sequoia would be known for. All your big your big brand names, um, Andreessen Horowitz, like these guys are all generalists. They, um, their investment mandate is kind of wide open uh, is the way I would define it. Um, thematic is you're a little bit tighter with your, with your thesis, right? So, um, the, a, a, a thematic thesis could be, we're going to invest in, um, in climate, uh, you know, something that still is, is, somewhat broad by, by nature. Like it's not a, an individual sector. It's not very niche. Like climate is a, is a massive, um, is a massive theme to go, to go tackle. You're investing potentially in hardware, robotics, battery technology, software, like, you know, many different, um, types of companies being formed in that space. And, you know, um, and I, I alluded to this, but another definition you constantly hear is a sector focused firm, right? So that would be like someone who's healthcare focused or someone who's construction focused. Um, so we think we at Shadow Ventures fit into that thematic focus and that we tackle the built environment. So the built environment is um, essentially the the physical world that uh, that that we all exist in, and we're um, uh, we're, we're investing in tools that are innovating how we build that and maintain that physical world. So, uh, tools, softwares, hardwares that improve and innovate, the, um, the buildings and infrastructure that we see that supports, uh, humans in the, in the world that we occupy. Um, so that could be anything from civil infrastructure, um, technologies that support bridges and roads to how are we designing and constructing new buildings and thinking about better processes and tools to, to do that effectively. So, um, we, yeah, our definition is like, that's more thematic than sector focus. Like the sectors that we would look at would be construction, real estate, um, infrastructure, climate would fit into, and into that as well. Obviously, like when you're, when you're building physical things, um, they can be somewhat energy intensive. And so real estate, for instance, is known to be like a massive contributor to, uh, to, to carbon emissions. And so that's a, that's a big area of focus for a lot of investors, but that's kind of why we, we label ourselves as thematic and that's how I would define it. So just to make sure I understand it, study clearly, pretty much you're niching down extremely into like one space 
in an industry, right? Yeah. So yes, we are, we are niching down. However, I'll caveat that at least in our opinion, um, it's not as niche as like, as, as saying we're sector focused, right? So we could go even further. So we, the label that we're investing in is that we say that we're investing in is, um, anything that's innovating the built environment. So that could be a construction related technology. That could also be a real estate, a real estate property operations oriented technology. Um, that could be a climate, uh, a climate technology, a new battery, you know, uh, in, in, the, in the solar space, wind farms to support alternative ways of powering the physical infrastructure of the world, right? So um, the, the, the definition that I would like to, to your question, the, def, the, the clarity I would put on it is we're not sector focused. That would be like the most niche that you're going to get. Like I even heard of a, a, of a fund a couple of weeks ago that's um, only investing in solutions and technologies that are um, focused on skincare, just skincare. That's super niche to me. Um, and so we're, we're bigger than that. Like we, we focus on multiple markets and multiple, uh, multiple verticals, um, but we're not quite as large as the generalist fund. So like that's the, the thematic definitions, but yes, like we are definitely niching down from the, from the generalist focus that a lot of VCs have. Okay. So then what are some advantages of being a thematic focus VC firm? And then what do you see might be some challenges that you guys might face or usually face? Yeah. So the advantages would be when you have a niche focus, um, think of a startup that is starting in a niche, uh, you know, solving a niche problem. What are their, what are their advantages? Well, like they're going to solve that problem really well. They may, it may not be a massive market. They might need to grow, right? Maybe it's only, it can only become a $10 million company in that niche. Um, but they're going to, they have the chance that the, 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 the more niche they become to own 100% of that market. Right. Um, for us, it's a similar mindset. We, um, so one of the reasons we decided to, um, to choose a thematic approach is, uh, we all come from, uh, the built environment, right? So all of our backgrounds, the partners at the firm, we, um, we've all, we've all come, kind of come up working in the industry. So I come from a construction background. Um, my, my dad, my dad, um, runs a, a home building business, uh, in, in Kentucky. Um, and I more or less grew up on a job site. So got to know construction, uh, residential construction very well. Um, my, uh, another one of my partners is formerly a civil engineer. Um, and a, a third partner, um, is a software engineer, but he's only worked on construction related software products in his, in his career. And so we all have gotten to know the nuances and the intricacies of the, of these markets and how they work. And they're, they are quite unique and different, um, can be very hard to navigate if you're an entrepreneur and we, we kind of recognize an opportunity to be essentially be specialists to support founders in their. Uh, and their and their startup building journey, right? We 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 recognize that a generalist VC, for instance, wouldn't be able to support them the way that they need to when they're going out to acquire early customers, make you know leverage relationships to 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 drive growth. Um, we, but we can do that, right? We've all worked in the space and we've built networks and we've uh, we we've we've learned what works and go to market and, and what doesn't. Um, and because of that specialist skill set, 
we think there's a, a real need in the market um, from, from a venture ecosystem uh, perspective to, to support founders in that way. And so, yeah, the, the bet is that it's such a, these are massive, massive industries, trillions of dollars to spend each year from the markets we're investing in, that if we're really gonna accelerate technology and, and innovation in the space, like we need a stronger specialist ecosystem at the earliest phases, right? So we invest seed, pre-seed um, when the companies are just starting out and they, they need people who've, who've kind of been there before. So um, the, you know, the, the, you, I think one of your questions was the trade-offs, like, you know, why would we do it? Hopefully it's obvious now is like we have, um, if we're specialists, like we, we build a brand in, uh, within the space and, you know, founders love us because we know the market potentially better than they do when they start out. And we can provide like a ton of expertise and advisory early on. Um, and, and then, you know, that word of mouth referral system kind of grows and we source deals without having to, to do a lot of work. And, um, you know, the other thing is like from an investor perspective, probably easier to, uh, get investors excited if they're, if they have exposure to real estate and construction, um, if that's their area of work and that's what they know, they're probably excited to invest with us. Right. So from an LP and capital Fair, raising perspective, yeah. like when those, when those, uh, when those two, um, entities are matched shadow and whatever real estate firm or whatever construction firm, there's a lot of synergy and a lot of excitement about uh, working together um, for obvious reasons. But the downside is, is that, you know, venture is a, um, venture is a game of grand slams and, uh, and, and home runs, right? So, <clears throat> you know, as you niche down in a particular sector, um, you're going to have less opportunity to, fi to find those grand, grand slams. Um, so essentially the odds of, being an investor in the next Uber or Facebook, um, in our industry, there's a, there's a, a unicorn, they appeared for about 10 billion, uh, called Procore. Um, they, you know, finding the next Procore in our, in our space is essentially our job. Right. And so if we have fewer opportunities and shots on goal, because we're niching down, that just makes our job harder. Like we can't afford to, to really miss the next you know, the, the next big unicorn, we have to be involved. And our thesis is, is that we can, and we, and, you know, we, we have the visibility into, into seeing and, and getting that level of deal flow. Um, but I think that will be the downside is like, you don't, uh, and, and, you know, the other, the other thing I would mention too, is like on, on the same note of venture being a game of grand slams is the next hundred billion dollar company or $50 billion company going to be within the built environment. That's like a question that any financial investor sh should should ask, um, and you know, essentially, how do we how do we compete with the top firms in the world if we have to if we're in a market that may not produce the biggest outliers in the world? And the reason and and the answer is like we have to re probably think differently about our portfolio construction. We probably have to own a greater percentage if the company is capped at you know, let's call it 10 billion or 20 billion, that would be like the max upside. But if you're investing in AI, the max upside is 100, 100 billion, 200 billion at IPO. Um, they can own less less percent of the company and still have a ma have massive success, right? So we would have to, if the theory would be, we would have to increase the check size and ownership that we, we make, which is why I wanted to chat a little bit about portfolio construction, because I think that's something people miss. Um, we've seen a lot of investors come into our market and take 
you know, half a percent to a percent of the company. And like, I think that's a terrible strategy. It's just going to be tough to, um, if you don't have a, a 10, $20 billion company, you're not going to make any money. That yes. And this is the reason why I really was so keen to doing this podcast with you, because like you said, um, being a thematic focused firm, VC firm, it seems like you guys have that competitive edge, right? And the LPs that you're going to bring on to the fund, if they're aligned and have experience with the industry that you, with the industry that you're investing in, I think that, you know, that that's good to have them on the cap table. And again, in terms of advisory, that's a plus for you guys. But now what does like the capital raising um, approach look like for you guys? Like how, how does it, what does it look like? What's the landscape? And I don't want to say how different, how exactly different it is from generalistic firms, but again, like what does the capital raising environment look like for you? Yeah, it's, it's actually quite, it's, 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 it's both similar and different at the same time. Um, when you're raising, when you're, when you're raising a fund, like if we're, if I'm a, if I'm operating a generalist fund versus a specialist fund, uh, we're still raising venture dollars, right? So, you know, it's not, um, like venture capital is venture capital. So really the difference is who is going, like the, the way that I would think about it is who is going to be excited about most excited about what we're doing? Who's going to, who's going to see the value prop of what we're offering most. And I think from that perspective, what I alluded to earlier is usually the answer. Like we have a lot of strategic investors um, and strategic investors. The definition would be someone who's actively um, who actively has a business or working you know, working interest in the, in, in, in the markets that we invest in. So example would be a construction firm, like a, a global construction firm, probably going to be more interested in, in, in what we're doing um, than a healthcare um, focused uh, individual, maybe like a, a former healthcare executive who has a family office, but has no exposure to construction, real estate or, or climate, right? Um, and I mean, just like pure cure in, in a, a sense of pure curiosity, are they going to be more interested in investing in a healthcare focused fund that that latter person or, or our fund, probably the healthcare fund, right? Um, you, you, you gravitate to things, um, that are within your circle of competence as Charlie Munger would say. And, um, and you probably should as an investor, right? Like you want to understand to some extent what you're investing in, um, now, how I would how I would loop that, um, how I would try to hook the healthcare investor is, hey, you you probably want to diversify a little bit outside of just healthcare. I'm sure you have a lot of public equities, and um, you know you have a lot, of, maybe some private investments there too. So, like, here's why our market is interesting, and I would make the case for why the built environment is the best venture capital opportunity from a thematic focus in the world. And the reason that's true is because we've been the the the, the sectors that have been slowest to adopt technology. And we're so far behind other spaces that um, over the next over the next 10 years, there's so much low hanging fruit to knock off. And uh, from a private technology investment perspective, like we are going to see massive, massive returns because we're at this inflection point. Um, so I, you know, I could make that case, but yeah, the, 
the, the capital raising perspective, like if I'm a generalist VC, you know, the, the, the question is like, how do I get a, um, how do I get a family office? How do I get an institution and endowment excited about what I'm doing? Like what is unique about my strategy? Um, or if Jason has a, has a, has a firm is, is pitching the same LP, how am I going to stand out? Right. And I think this is a really, um, this isn't talked about a lot in venture circles among managers, but we, you know, venture at its core, we're all, you know, we're, we're all running funds and, you know, the, the, the thesis of the fund essentially is the differentiator. Right. So if you don't have a strong, if you haven't thought deeply about what your differentiator is, um, and it could be like your unique perspective on the world, um, and, or it could be, you know, a, ge a geography that you have close ties to and you can source, you know, you source, source deals from, um, could be a number of, you know, dozens of things, but if you haven't thought deeply and you haven't proven that you can execute on that strategy, it's going to be really tough to, to, convince that LP to go with you versus another fund. There are, there are a lot of venture capital funds out there. And by the way, we're not just competing with the, you know, VC funds, there's hedge funds, there's private equity funds. And so the world of alternative investments is pretty competitive. We're competing. There's, there's, there's a limited amount of capital that's competing um, where a lot of managers are, are, you know, competing for that capital. So you really do, um, have to think about what your thesis strategy is. And so for us, from capital raising perspective, like we're going to, like the path of least resistance is for us to target LPs who are naturally curious and interested in what we're choosing to invest in. Like it gets them excited. Like the, 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 the way for us to know if it's a good fit is like when we talk about our portfolio, if it gets them excited and they want to go deeper into that conversation, like we know that there's potentially a fit there and, you know, there's a way for us to work together. Sounds good. I like that. Yeah. Um, again, that, that approach is really, I think novel to me because I actually haven't heard many people talk about investing in BC or bringing on LPs the way you do. So you got something really going on for yourself and now talking about portfolio construction, this is exciting to me as well. Can you walk us through like your portfolio construction process and how do you determine which startups align with the shadow VC's thematic focus? Yeah, so portfolio construction is one of my favorite topics. Um, any 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 uh, any true investor will want to go go deep there. And really, exactly. um, I think that the <laughs> the the interesting thing about the conversation is it, it's um. I just look at it as two schools of thought, right? The, the two schools of thought in venture are go very concentrated and do fewer deals. So write larger checks into fewer deals or write a massive amount of checks, but write smaller checks into a lot of, a lot of companies. So quantity play and the idea being, Hey, if I write a hundred checks, a couple of them will, uh, will make it very big. And, you know, that's how I'm going to ensure top, you know, top quartile returns. Um, and so Peter Thiel is one that has pioneered the make a convicted concentrated bet, um, strategy, fewer companies. And, and really the, the, the usual rationale for that is one, you, you probably as individuals of the 
as individuals of, of, of a firm supporting a firm, you probably have like a few areas that you're good at, right? You're not going to be, you're not going to be knowledgeable at everything, like back to the circle of competence things. So like generalist VCs, even though they invest in everything, their partners are really good at certain areas. But if you don't have like a hundred people on the team um, to support all the industries you're investing in, it's like, well, you need to pick and choose, you know, what, um, what you think can win. And like, it's very hard to get convicted quickly about an industry that you know nothing about. So if you know nothing about FinTech and you're like diligencing, you know, a, a deal that you think is really interesting, you, you might ultimately decide like, Hey, this founder is special or this, you know, the, the technology is truly, truly novel. There's like a lot of really unique IP here and it's, and it's maybe worth making the bet, but it's like, it's going to be like a low conviction bet because you don't know the market. You don't know the competitive landscape. So it's hard to feel like that, um, you know, that, 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 that deep conviction that, um, you know, as a fiduciary, we're a fiduciary of our LP's money. Um, I think there's a lot of investors that doesn't sit well. Hey, hey, no, I don't understand this market. Um, and I'm still investing in writing checks and, you know, into, into everything. Right. So for us, we, we've said, you know, we've obviously chosen the con the concentrated convicted path. We know this mark, the market we invest in extraordinarily well. And also I alluded to this, but like our, our market is highly nuanced and unique. It's hard to go to market in our space. There's been a lot of resistance to tech adoption over the last two years. Like imagine, you know, j just for a thought experiment, imagine you um, are, you, you have a software that sells into um, residential construction and it's a project management software that's selling into, um, you know, 100,000 home builders. One, this industry doesn't really operate um, as much in the digital world, right? So maybe half of those 100,000 home builders don't even have a website. Fair. They're highly interested in your product. It would give them, it would bring them a ton of efficiency, but how do you get in front of them? Well, like we've all worked, everyone on our team has worked through some of those challenges, right? An answer would be, they all love going to physical events, right? So you get, there's a couple trade shows that those 100,000 people would show up at guaranteed every year. Cause like, that's what they, that's how they network. That's how they learn. So we, you know, we, we have a massive presence of those events and here's, by the way, here are the 10 events we've been to them, you know, and we went to the 10 others that didn't work. Um, and so again, be, because like, while we have, while we think there's, a, um, you know, a massive venture opportunity in, in, in the areas that we're investing in, that doesn't mean it's going to be an overnight success. It's going to, there's going to be a lot of hard work to get there. So we want to help support the companies while they're building at the earliest phases. So like the reason to go convicted and write larger checks and be concentrated is like, we have limited time, right? We can't support a hundred companies in that way. They all need to, they, we, we want to be on speed dial at midnight and be their first call when something goes wrong at, at the company or when they land their, you know, when, when they're, when they're on the verge of landing their first million dollar contract. And we can't, we can't do that if, if we've invested in that quantity of companies, there's three of us. Right. So that's the, the idea is like, you have to build a firm in a portfolio construction thesis that is supportive of the size of the firm. And maybe that thesis changes over time and the construction changes as we grow. And we have, you know, five to 10 partners at, at the firm and, you know, maybe we move into different markets, who knows, but, um, you have to build the strategy around what you have to offer as a firm. So like the, 
I think there's a common trope, like the size of the firm often determines the portfolio construction and the strategy. Um, so for us, that's very much true. Like we, you know, we, we've chosen that strategy because of, uh, all the things I alluded to. That, that's, that's crazy because, and just seeing it, just seeing it as a finance student, um, and just professors talking about portfolio construction or, um, VCs I spoke with in the past, um, talking about their investment strategies, but the way you guys approaching it, it seems like you guys have agency. Your investment thesis has agency. It's a holistic approach and everything clicks together. So I'm, I'm, I'm mind blown because yeah, I, mean, we I, I be, didn't see it that way. <laughs> we want to be in, in some ways, an extension of the team, mm -hmm. right? And that's a different thesis than a lot of VCs have. They don't want to be in, involved and that's a, it's not right or wrong, but you know, we're, we have a very, very entrepreneurial mindset and like to be an active, an active investor for us means being able to support the companies in the way that they need. Right. And that doesn't mean like, we're going to, you know, we're going to build the, like build the website for them to write the copy and do all the work. Right. They, they, they have to run the company, but, but you know, we, we have to, we have to be like close trusted advisors. And yeah, if, if maybe if the CTO quits, like, do we have to be able to, you know, do, do we want to be able to step in and like, you know, for a couple of days support, um, you know, support them through a tough time. Yeah, we have. And like, we have a full-time CTO, my other partner, Matt, he can get in and, and, and step into that role if the CTO leaves. And so like, you know, in a, in a, um, in a scenario where like truly it's an emergency, uh, we feel like we have, you know, the, the ability, um, to support those companies in the, in the way that they need, whether like maybe it's a founder, you know, a, a founder struggle and a founder leaves, um, maybe it's the director of marketing who, who heads out and there's no one to, um, you know, give feedback on, on, on marketing copy and how they're approaching a trade show strategy. And it's a, and it's a critical trade show. This is the, they've spent 50, 50 grand and, you know, they're, um, this is make or break. They need feedback on, on, on if it's a smart strategy. And so, yeah, like, Again, I don't, I don't think it's right or wrong what we've chosen, um, but for us, is is the idea, right? And um, I think, yeah, again, being entrepreneurial by nature, all of us have that DNA trait. And if you have that DNA trait, it's very tough to like sit back and be passive. And so, we could have chosen to, to do the hunter investment around and not answer phone calls or not be available um, in that way, but that wouldn't be, we, we, would, we wouldn't have founder market fit, right? That's just not who we are as people. So, yeah. Right. No, that's founders before found, um, VCs that were founders before investors are the best type of investors we see today. And I know you talked a little bit about supporting startups. Um, how, talk talk to us a little bit more. Let's dive into that. Like, how do you support the startups in your portfolio, and what resources do you offer beyond just funding? Yeah, um, I'd say that 
you know, we, like if you polled our current portfolio, we have about 23 companies in that, uh, that we've invested in currently. Uh, I think you'd see the actually the answers be pretty widespread in terms of like the area that we've helped to support them the most. Honestly, it depends on what the company needs, right? So a company could be very technically strong, fantastic, you know, a couple engineers, fantastic at building product, um, but they're terrible at selling the vision of the company and they're terrible at articulating the movement that they're creating to the world. Um, that happens to actually be my background in working with startups. Um, when I was in the startup world, uh, I was on the go-to-market side, um, and particularly in this in the in the built environment. So I I've seen a lot of things and um, and messages that have worked in our industry. And so I would, for instance, with that particular company where there's two strong technical engineers and no one to actually lead the you know the the go-to-market and the sales strategy. Um, I probably would have a more dominant role in in helping them get off, you know, get get off square one and move into you know real company building mode and and and, and sales scaling mode. Um, another company might be the exact opposite, right? So that maybe they're fantastic at messaging and marketing. Um, they have they have the brand nailed, nailed down. The product's beautiful, um, but they're not. The, the the product doesn't have a ton of defensibility because it's tech light. And so how do we think about a product strategy that is going to actually create defensibility over time and is um, going to do in interesting things from an engineering perspective? Um, and, and Matt, uh, who I mentioned, our CTO, he might step in, play more a more prominent role in that company. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of across the board. Like I, the way I would think about it is any any critical need that an early stage startup might have, we've probably played that role to some extent in the portfolio. I'd say another another key need, um, and I think a lot of our startups would give this answer is helping fundraising. Right. So every every seed stage startup needs more money, and we have a network of uh, of investors that have you know either invested with us in our in our in our funds, um, or we have a network. Um, that we've built over the years that, um, you know, might be interested in that, in the particular vertical that they're, they're, they're creating a company in a new, or a new category in, right? So we can tap that network. No, we know who's intellectually going to be curious about what they're doing and help them raise capital from, from that perspective. And so, <clears throat> you know, it's usually um, like capital and customers, I, maybe to distill down my answer. Um and I, I, yeah, I didn't really emphasize that as much, but like the, the customer thing is, is critical, right? So yeah, how I framed the, the investors that, um, that we attract, right? People, companies that are operating within the markets we're focused on, um, construction firms, real estate developers, you know, engineering firms, they're, they've invested with us. They have skin in the game and they, they want to succeed that they want to see our portfolio succeed. Right. Um, guess what? Like they're going, they're, they're the potential customers of the products we're investing in. That's the interesting right? part. Yep. So, so that's the, like, you know, when, when a founder, when we meet a founder and we, you know, talk about kind of what we built and what we do as a firm, that would be the thing that we lead with is like, Hey, we have like five customers that we want to introduce you to like tomorrow. 
are you open to that? And what do you like, what do you think they're going to say? That's the lifeblood of their business is revenue or, you know, revenue and capital. Right. So if they're, um, and eventually at some point, even if they, they're good on the capital front, they're going to need to get traction. Um, so we, if we have that, um, that cost there, if we have their customer base and, you know, it, sometimes it might be their five, the, the five potential biggest customers, um, for, for a portfolio company might be in the investor base. And like, that is gold to them. Right. So that's essentially our, that's what we're selling startups. And that's our value value add. I think at its core is like, you know, not only the expertise that we bring as, you know, um, uh, you know, knowledge as a firm to advise them, but also, uh, you know, here's the, here's like the, the, the three most desirable companies that you wanted to meet. Like here's a direct intro to their CEO. I think another question that founders, especially in the built environment space, would want me to ask, what does the process for evaluating potential investments look like, right? Because I know earlier you said for new players, it's a little bit more difficult to get market share over time. So what does that process look like for you guys? Yeah, um, I think that, sorry, sorry, is your your question more along the lines of, um, how does the startup gain gain market share? No, more like how do you evaluate like potential investments? I see. Yeah. So due diligence process. The way that um, so I think the way that we would think about that is like one we've seen we've seen a lot of patterns over the years by working in the in in these industries, right? So like there's certain there's a certain number of concepts that we see that we're going to be like, yeah, this is not going to work. Like within 10 seconds, we'll just kind of know because we've seen 10 iterations of it and like looks more like a feature than a than a true product or looks more like a product than a true company. It's very hard to build a company because the market size might be small. Um, you know, the the customer might view it as a as a tool, um, again, you know, more than a, a platform that's going to, it's going to need to grow to, 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 to gain significant, um, you know, size and market share and scale, right? So, um, the pattern recognition, this, the second thing would, we would do is like, we would bring in the market, right? So again, the LP base will fall back on that. I'll fall back on that answer again, that we're going to introduce them to those, those customers, right? So not only are we, are we showing value to the startup by introducing them to the customers pretty early on in the diligence process, um, we're also getting really valuable feedback from a diligence perspective because the the LP that we introduced them to, um, so and so construction firm, so and so real estate firm, they're going to come back and say, "Hey, we've like we've been pitched on this concept five times in the last two weeks, like super saturated." You know what they're doing might be interesting, but like going to be really tough to navigate the competitive landscape. Or okay, holy cow, like this is absolutely transformational. Like they have a visceral emotional response to meeting the company and. At that point, we're like, tell us everything, right? Because because that's the sort of response that we would want to see. Um, at the end of the day, like that's what we're going for, right? We're like venture venture deals that succeed. They're like they give the user a visceral, like emotional response on a lot of cases, and it's like, it, I mean, a great I think a great way to um, recognize that is a lot of people's interaction with AI in the last six months. You can't stop talking about it. certain people can't stop talking about it. 
it's it's emotional, right? They get excited, they're passionate. Um, why is that? Well, it's like they feel transformed when they're working with it. Um, it's not just, you know, for some for some people it's a toy and it's, you know, something that uh is 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 fun to experiment with, but for others it's like this is the industrial revolution. This is that this is our yes. our times industrial revolution. Like that um and, and they can't contain themselves. Like that's what that's like what we want to see from a product perspective. And we often invest in like, you know, uh, I'll call it like non-sexy, boring things, B2B okay, software. I was about to ask. I was about to ask. You know, and not all the time. Like we're invested in a company mm -hmm. that um, I would say, I would definitely define as as sexy. It's a company called Icon, a 3D printed housing company. It's our best, um, best performing investment in the portfolio. And, you know, they're, they've been written about in every single um, news outlet in the, in, in the world, Wall Street, New York Times, New Yorker, right? Like they're, they're building homes, um, with a 3d printing device and they're doing it for significantly reduced costs and, and significantly reduced time. Right. It's a really compelling thing, but like a lot of our companies don't have that, that appeal, that, that, um, that main, that main street appeal where everyone's going to like, you know, everyone's eyes are going to get big when, uh, when they hear about it, so they might be selling, you know, um, in engineering surveying software, but they leverage really unique technology and they're reducing the cost of, you know, uh, for the project by 90% because that surveying technology is leveraging AI, it's leveraging computer vision, it's leveraging robots to go out and get these uh, surveys, replacing human human labor or reducing it significantly. That's like, you know, for, for a low margin business, that's transformative. Um, but to the average consumer, like, you know, to the average investor, who's not, uh, not schooled in, in, in some of those technologies I alluded to, it might not be that interesting. Right. But, um, so yeah, I think that gauging what the market to go back to your original question on like, how do we diligence and how do we define, how do we, how do we de essentially decision on what's really transformative? Like we have to be able to see and do some future predicting on what is really going to be a step function order of magnitude transformation versus like a marginal improvement on the status quo right so a basic software that's giving you five to ten percent more productivity going to be tough for us to get excited about um because it's going to be tough to generate venture returns right we need to see something like you know 80 percent increase in in productivity with ai you see people talking about like ten thousand percent increase in productivity and their ability to write, write code. And so it's just, you know, that, that sort of, um, that's the essence of venture is you can't invest in the marginal and the incremental, right? I love that response. Now looking ahead of time, right? How do you see the venture capital industry evolving over the next few years? And what role do you see the thematic focus firms playing in that evolution? I think that, you know, right, right now in venture, you see, it's an interesting time, right? You had, we, we, went, we went through a lot in like the last, call it three to five years. COVID um, was a pretty massive, I think, disruption to work in general and in venture um 
you know, a lot of startups saw a lot of opportunity, but really like at, at it from a macro perspective, a lot of capital flooded the market. There was a lot, of, there was a massive injection of liquidity into the capital markets. So venture had record, um, record, a record amount of capital inflows. Um, firms, because of that massive amount of liquidity, probably were looser from a diligence perspective, from a valuation perspective. And now we're at a place where interest rates have climbed. The, the liquidity isn't quite there from a capital markets perspective. Venture firms are having a tougher time raising dollar, you know, raising raising money. Their portfolio is, you know, is having to do down rounds because, you know, we they were valuing companies on a on a zero interest rate in a zero interest rate environment. Theoretically, the valuation is can be infinity um, in that in that sort of environment. And so you saw like a lot of crazy things. Um, and for what it's worth, I'll share my feedback on this. I'm new, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a you know a young um, youngish person in the venture capital space. I'm I haven't seen you know within the venture ecosystem. I haven't worked in this industry over decades. I've been in it for about five years, and I was on the startup side before it for you know a, a decade. Call it um, previously, but. I think we're in this, you know, this unique space where we know that technology is highly, highly deflationary in the sense that it, it increases productivity for, for economies. Um, and, you know, we're also in this time period where, um, from a macro perspective, um, some political unrest, some geopolitical conflicts, monetary uncertainty from a monetary policy perspective, um, inflationary fiscal policy, a lot of spending going to certain, uh, certain sectors. One, one of those being one that I mentioned climate, we see like billions and trillions of dollars going to, um, going to climate technology ESG initiatives. Exactly. So you have this, you have this like really interesting equation for investors to decide like what is the max upside of of venture capital and early stage technology companies and so it, when we're looking at early stage like nothing's really changed right we're investing in companies that have a long shot at actually having massive success so the success rate having a billion dollar 10 billion dollar company in the portfolio is low um but there still will be like technology is not going away and this step function orders of magnitude increases and improvements in technology, you know, via AI, for instance, that's not going away. Those inventions will continue to come. So if you, if you, if you believe those two things, um, the, from a first principles perspective, there's still massive opportunity to run in venture. Um, and, and the slowdown more so I think will be, you know, uh, from a, it's going to be, it's, it's, it's cyclical, right? Interest rates are high. Now they might not be high in two years when interest rates are high. It's tougher to get, it is tougher. There's more friction involved in getting great returns in venture valuations are lower, the multiples people are paying are lower, given the cost and the, you know, the cost of capital is higher. Um, and so I look at it like this, it's just like an evolving equation. And 
I expect over the next decade, like with inflation and different inflationary policies and, you know, combating against deflate, you know, deflationary technologies is like, how does that equation evolve? And like, are you running that, are you running that equation as a, as an investor? And do you have predictions for where we're going to go? And are you protected in case things, you know, move, move in the other direction? Like, are you thinking long-term enough? And I think that's one of the unique things about venture too, is like, we have a really long time horizon. Luckily, I don't have to invest and sell the sell our companies in the next year. We, you know, we're we're looking, you know, decades out from the from the 2021 and 2022 era, right? So, even if you're going through a tough time and you're a founder right now, you have to do a down round. You're struggling to raise capital. That's not always going to be the case. Things will turn. Focus on the things that you can control right now in this moment and drive your company towards product market fit. If you need to consolidate resources. You need to get lean, do it, um, and and ride and under, ride and understand the cycle that you're in. And I think that's kind of that that would be my message, um, and you know my, my answer to like how venture is going to evolve is like I think you're going to have to as investors you're going to have to pay very close attention to the cycle that we're in. Um, not forget the time horizon, but but know where we are in in, in cycles and know, and know where we're going. And at last, I'd like to ask, how does Shadow VC plan to continue to grow and expand its presence um, just in the VC space? What's your future looking like for you? What are your plans? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it, we're, we're, we've chosen this thematic path, right? We've said like, hey, we're going to be specialists. We're going to be like the, the, the best venture investors within this particular market sector is the goal. Um, we're a young firm. We were started in 2018. Venture cycles are long. So I think we have, like, we still feel as a firm, like we have a lot to prove. And, you know, we, we want to, we want to be known um, and continue to raise funds on, on, you know, us being the best, like the very best venture investors in this thematic focus. Um, right now we're, we're seed and pre-seed focused. I think like, as we evolve as a firm, um, there's probably some opportunities opportunities to support like the natural movement would be to support later stage deals, be a multi, you know, multi-stage firm have, you know, growth stage opportunities that our investors can capture. Um, and so, you know, the, the natural movement of like, you know, for us, we're pretty, we're pretty upstream, maybe yeah, moving downstream, raising, you know, more growth stage funds. Um, and then the, the, the question at some point will be, how do we move beyond these markets or do we want to, right? Famously, you know, Benchmark, one of the more successful generalist funds in Silicon Valley, um, they have chosen not to scale beyond seed stage. They only want to play seed stage. Every other competitor that they they compete with in Silicon Valley has raised multi-billion dollar funds and they're staying, they're still saying in like, hey, we're going to raise a couple hundred million max for our funds because like that's, the max we want to deploy for seed stage companies. It's it, for, for what it's worth, like the incentive is to take more money, right? Venture firms grow um, and want billions of AUM because there's fees on that. And exactly. Um, it's a natural incentive, but benchmark is a, is a unique case study and like maybe staying disciplined actually is the best way to, um, is to, 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 uh, the best way to, to, build a differentiator and, and build a moat and um, 
you know, stay convicted on what they're really good at and focused on what they're good at. I think there's usually what you see is like, once you start raising multi-billion dollar funds, it's really tough to return the capital on that, on funds of that size. Like you have to deploy large amounts of money into later stage opportunities that don't have as much, you know, room to grow. So that will be the conundrum for us for another day. But I think in the near future, it's like, what's, we're, we're going to continue to focus and, um, try to be world-class at pre-seed and seed and supporting being active investors, being hands-on and supporting the companies um, through to a lot of exits for sure. Well, everyone, that's Nick from Shadow VC. Nick, thank you for being on the podcast. Lovely conversation. It was a pleasure having you on board. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate the time. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me.